Second Peter 3, and this morning I had admonished the crowd that many could be, should be here this evening. Always that would be true. It's the Lord's Day. And uh, then I said if someone for whatever reason was not going to be, I admonished them to get the recording of this evening, watch it on YouTube or the podcast or whatever. And uh, because the two would go together, I would reverse that for this evening and say um, this morning's message and this evening's message go together and I believe are essential and understanding some things have to do with your growing in grace and going forward for the Lord in a substantial way in your lives. Second um, Peter chapter 3, I want you to look there if you will, and I'm going to look at one particular, uh, one particular passage and then uh, we're going to go from there with that. But Second uh, Peter chapter 3, and uh, I want uh, you to see, uh, well, two verses. Look at the last two verses of the chapter. As I mentioned this morning, this morning's passage on desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby and it starts wherefore desire the sincere milk of the word and we dealt with that and dealt with the subject of preparing to grow and uh, because of the way that chapter begins with wherefore we look back in chapter one and find the setting for the uh, desire the sincere milk of the word and we also find that the bible puts laying aside all malice and envies and these things to lay them aside, then we desire the sincere milk of the Word. And we said there's some preparation involved with being, being able to receive the milk of the Word and it do you good. I said this morning there are some Christians who make themselves lactose intolerant, if you will. Uh, there, there are things you're putting in or things you're, that you have that cause you not to desire that sincere milk of the Word. Um, tonight, uh, equally uh, familiar passage... In, in verses 17 and 18, it says, Ye therefore, bre- uh, beloved, seeing you know these things before, and I'll be going back and explain some of this, um, beware lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And I know I have a number of you church members come from an Armenian background, and there's ways your brain's been trained to think. Please notice what you fall from there. If you're an Arminian training and, and background, that word that would be dropped in there would be the word grace or salvation, which is not what it says. It's talking about falling from your steadfastness. That has to do with your work and, or your walk and your consistency in that. It says, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be both glory both now and forever. And by the way, that's such a good truth. The Bible ends with a great word there. Amen. That's a good one. I like it when it amens itself. And so this evening, I'm going to speak to you on the subject of what needs to grow. What needs to grow. And uh, I want to to help you with that. You would understand if you've attended service here much and been conscious part of that time that... that uh, it, is not gra- it is not grace that grows in you. you. You grow in grace. It's not grace that grows and expands in you. It is you that grow in grace. And, uh, and with that, though, what is it about us? What is it about you? What is it about me that needs to grow? I said to my class this morning, I said, I'm very committed in the next, who knows, 20, 25, 30 years, whatever the Lord may give me, uh, to be able to do what I'm doing as a pastor. I'm very committed um, in my own personal life and in what I'm teaching you as a pastor and leading you towards uh, for us to have a real Christianity that involves in our day-by-day living, not just the form, but the very substance of it. 
And uh, I want as many people who want to go that way with me. I can help you, and we'll go that way together. And if you're not sure what you're doing with that yet, we'll still love the fire out of you, but we're going somewhere. And we're going there by the Word of God. And so uh, with that, I got to look at this thing about growing in grace, and I was pretty amazed by it. We're going to read the whole chapter, and then uh, that's going to be emphasizing these two verses that we both read with a special emphasis on verse 18 there at the end. And uh, when we read that, I want you to understand when you read the chapter, it will help you to be thinking about what's at the end of the chapter where it tells us to grow in grace, but grow in grace. And I want you to understand, you're going to hear these words now and that's going to get an emphasis as we go through, that if you are not growing, you will not be surviving. It comes down to that. If you're not growing in the Lord, very soon you will not be surviving. And... uh, I think we figured out that uh, we should have never been treating our life and how we serve the Lord like playtime or like, you know, you could just fool with it however. But um, I think we've had a great emphasis, haven't we, over the last 14, 18 months with that. And uh, as I've talked to people, and we've been around some, talked to Christian people in different places, these churches we visited while we were gone, as we talked to people, uh, we were down at Brother Sexton's church in, in uh, Knoxville there, and they, they were very comfortably full. It's a large auditorium, good services, people saved, just a good service. But we were in an adult Sunday school class, and they were very actively uh, trying to round up people who had disappeared during all, this, all the strange events of the last many months and who had disappeared and never showed up again, and uh, people who were out there. And it's just as treacherous for the people of God to be separated from the house of God now as it's ever been. And, uh, and so uh, there's a lot of work to be done. But we saw in our own church here that there's a lot of good things that we do. There's a lot of uh, outreach and good things. I'm not talking about just soul winning. I'm talking about particular structure of outreach that are good things that we plan on continuing. But when you get down to the basics, the basics are what you need. You keep the doors open. You keep the gospel going out. You keep preaching the Word. You keep God's sanctuary as a sanctuary. You keep loving the Lord. You walk guard on your spirit and you keep following the Lord. That's really what it comes down to. Those are the basics. And so when we understand this, we, we need to keep growing. Um, because if we don't keep growing, you won't be surviving. It just simply will not happen. You will, you will be run over by the things of this life. Let's look at the chapter here and let's go through some of the things with this and uh, just give you a little bit of an overview. <clears throat> chapter 3, it says, The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both... Oops, I'm, there we go. I got one. I, I thought I'd jump. As pure minds by way of remembrance. And of course, a vital thing to be remembering what God's done for us. Let me say to you, that's, that's important. And if you're going to grow in grace, you have to remember the grace that's been bestowed upon you. It's hard for me to believe, but 26 of this month is a full 40 years ago, 41 years ago, 26 of this month that I received Christ as my Savior. 40 years in preaching the Gospel now. That time has went very quickly. By the way, Brother Carpenter, I made a statement after you left the room this morning that involved you, and I don't want to speak behind your back, but I let them know one of the first signs of age is having the delusion that you're not that old yet. <laughs> What's the first digit on your number? Four. Uh, four. Okay, yeah. There you are. And um, <laughs> Yeah, he's a youngster. Uh, yeah. I'll take it from my elders. And then, <laughs> but he said he wants to stir up our minds by way of remembrance. 
It's very important. I mentioned to you from this pulpit, I don't ever want to become a professional Christian. I don't want to get over the fact God saved me. I mean, just don't want to get over it. Just get happy in it. And uh, man, I tell you, it's important. Then, verse 2, it says that you, might, you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And uh, of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And of course, this is the Word of God and we have it in our possession tonight. And thank God we do. How precious it is. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come. Are you watching it? Shall come. Not maybe. There shall come in the last days. You say, well, when are the last days? They've been saying the last days since Paul's time. Well, if it's been saying the last days since Paul's time, how close you reckon we are now? I know we're 40 years closer, 41 years closer almost than when I began on this. So we're getting closer. That there shall come in the last days scoffers. What's their problem? Is it an intellectual problem? No. Is it an academic problem? No. Here's the problem, walking after their own lust. That leads them to scoff. Because if God is true and if they need to get right, then there's some accountability and some things that have to be done. Now here's the type of language they speak. And saying, where's the promise of His coming? Now, would you please understand that? They say that specifically, but also take that into the broad application, which doesn't do despite to this. Take it to the broad application. In fact, they're, going to, they're, they're questioning the promises of God generally. And especially things that pertain to the second coming of Christ. And certainly a bunch of hucksters and hoaxers who have put dates on things and have come out, you know, all these things we've seen the years, you know, 88 reasons why Christ will be back in 1988. That one one sank in the mud. And uh, in 1990, there was a big one why it was going to happen then and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, just a bunch of garbage. Anybody who knew their Bible and believed their Bible would not have ever went along with that. But it does... Uh, it does uh, 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 feed skepticism and doubt, and especially when it comes from uh, religious people and, and that sort of thing. So the scoffers are going to come. They're going to say, where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's called uniformitism. That's the idea that just keeps going on. By the way, they haven't just continued that way. And then verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of. There's something they don't want to know. That by the Word of God. See, that if you want to get to the core of what they don't believe, that's it. That by the Word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That actually happened. I had occasion one time to get a hold of an old book that was dealing with archaeology. That seems appropriate to me in some way. And uh, as I was looking at it in this secular publication, they freely spoke of the floodplain. It was an accepted term. And the floodplain was about 80 feet down, and beyond that, they did not have good records, and they attributed that to the, when human record had been wiped out by the flood. It's amazing. But they had sense enough to know that then, but now they're willingly ignorant of this. And so uh, that, that did happen. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store. There's a purpose. They're held back for something. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition, which is the idea of destruction, of ungodly men. So preacher, I thought you were preaching tonight about growing grace. That's what's at the end of the chapter. Remember me telling you, if you're not growing, you won't be surviving? Watch. 
This is these things are not separate. They're, they're, this is leading into it. We take we take the verse we grow in grace. And we know that verse. How many of you know that verse decently well? You think I'm not going to call on you to quote, but you know it pretty well, don't you? But it's almost there are some verses which, because of the familiarity, we tend to try to take them as a standalone verse. How about this one? My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you know that one pretty well? Do you know that is only a promise to those who are giving to missions? If you read the context, it is specifically dealing with those who help the work of God go in other places. Check me out on it and see if it's not accurate. And so, uh, this here, it's in context. Can you see what's going on here? Can you see the fact of scoffers? Can you see the fact of warning that this world's very temporary? That there's a judgment coming with things? This is here, isn't it? And then, verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. That's amazing, isn't it? I've had just a few people in life where one day with them did seem like a thousand years. <laughs> and a thousand years is one day. Now look at the word that's chosen by the Lord. The Lord is not slack. Not even deal with the issue that He won't fulfill it. He's not off timing. He's not deferring this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise that some men count slackness. In other words, they set in judgment of His timing. But His long-suffering to us work. Why? What drives Him to this? What is it that compels God? What is His motives as revealed in the Word of God? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Thank God. I am glad He dealt with me more than once before I got saved. I certainly didn't deserve the first time, much less the second, third, but I'm glad God in His, in, in His sweet and holy persistence kept after me. Certainly I was not a prize worth pursuing in such a way except I'm precious to Him because of His love. And so that's enough. And thank God for it. And so it says, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there is an end to it. This is warned of in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. You understand that? There is an end to it. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In other words, without warning or certainty of time when it will happen. And thief of the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's what will actually happen to it. Surely then, seeing then, excuse me, that all these things shall be dissolved. You see how God deals these different words show us it's an elemental breakdown where the constraining and controlling hand of God, He lets it go. And He which binds all things together allows it just to explode of its own nature, which is what it would do. And so, it says, they shall be dissolved. He said, since all this is going to be gone, since this is what's coming, what manner of persons ought ye to be, you save people, in all holy conversation and godliness. This morning I told you it's a shame that some people have used that word holiness as a as a club to beat other people to where they've almost made the term despised. That it's been a self-righteous uh, attitude towards others. When holiness is the, the, is the purest, most beautiful form of love, it is God's purity working. And holiness in a person's life is the life that's coming to him from God working its way out and manifesting who Christ is. Holiness is a good work. 
It's a precious word. And he says what, whole, what man or persons ought we to be in all holy conversation. Not just our speech, but our entire conduct of life. And godliness. You say, preacher, there's some overlap with this morning's message. Well, I reckon that's because God designed it that way in the book, isn't it? And they go together. If you were in this morning's message in here and you weren't in one of the other services. Looking for. So in other words, we have a, we have a uh, understanding it's coming and, and the idea here is is an idea of being glad that the Lord's coming. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, okay, there's the backdrop of everything. We, according to His promise, what do we look for? A new heaven. And a new what? Earth. Wow. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Imagine with me just a moment here. Let's imagine according to what we know God designed and desired. Imagine right now just in our region here. Imagine there was no evil lust. Imagine there was no hatred and strife. Imagine for a moment, that, and we have to imagine because this is not our fall, the, the, the truth of our fallen condition, is it? Imagine right now, no, uh, no avarice, no, no, uh, uh, no, no envying, and no, no covetousness, no stealing, no murder. Can you imagine? No need of a lock on any door. No need to be suspicious of children playing where you can't see them immediately. No wondering about someone's motive, what they're doing. We forfeited a lot, didn't we? So, well, we didn't do it. We weren't in the garden. Uh, but that which was in the heart of our forefather Adam in the garden dwells within us. And uh, our inclinations may betray our nature, but our choices betray our heart. And so we're certainly not innocent in all this. And so he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, we look for this. We look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We want to be part of that and believe we will be and have assurance we will be because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My righteousness never could, never will be sufficient for admission to that place. But thank God, because of the righteousness of Jesus, I'm already there. Every, much, every bit of a citizen of that as I am a citizen of the United States. You say, no, you're a citizen of the United States by birth, and I'm a citizen there by birth. And uh, thank God for it. Let's hurry on, or I distract myself getting to the message, will not get to the message. Amen. And uh, or all the fireworks will be done by the time I'm done. <laughs> but then, verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that we look for such things, look at the next statement, be diligent. Okay, now there's something required of us. That you may be found of Him, look at the conditions, in peace, without spot, and blameless. In other words, we, we take responsibility for our actions based on the fact that all things have been given to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to us. That we are made partakers of the divine nature through Jesus Christ. And now we, are going to, we need to live accordingly. And we need to be diligent. I'm telling you what, it hurts so many Christians. Look at me, I'm giving you something tonight. Just being haphazard about your living. I deal with people in their finances. You know why people wreck their finances? 
number one thing they do outside of covetousness or maybe lack of knowledge, they just don't pay attention. How in the world did I get, you know, 15, 20, 25, I've seen 40, $45,000 in debt to credit cards. Man, I don't know how we got there that fast. What do you mean we got $60,000 worth of student loans? Worst debacle in the world going on in student loans as far as finances go, the most dangerous thing there is, totally unnecessary. And all this going on, how do we get there? People, I, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and they've they're got about $40,000 in student loans. I said, how much in each and how is it broken down? They didn't even know. They just went through college, signed things, signed things, signed things, got further and further in debt. Just kept racking things up. And then they get ashamed, and then they get overwhelmed, and then they're afraid to tell anybody, and it's this black hole they never feel like they can climb out of. God doesn't desire for His children to be under that type of bondage. Can I tell you, it's the same way in our day-by-day living. Here it talks about having diligence in our Christian life. In other words, I'm getting ready to talk to you about growing in grace. And I want you to understand, according to the Word of God, we have a responsibility of diligence in it. Not a passivity where we sit back and say, okay, God, grow me. Well, we do understand growth comes from God. Got all these little ones around in here, right? God lets them grow, doesn't He? Quit feeding them, see if that works again. <laughs> By the way, when you start noticing that you're growing other ways, quit feeding it. You might find out that works again. Um, but, smile, you're happy, you know. Um, you've got, there's something involved in it. There's not only making sure you feed them, but making sure what you give them is nutritionally sound. You don't have to be a maniac about it, but you have some sense about it. Isn't that right? We would recognize this. Well, why would we think it's any less in our growth and grace? There's some diligence. Not haphazard. What kind of Christian do you want to be? You answer that to your own self. What are you doing about that? Well, I never could be. Why not? Aren't you saved by the blood of Christ? Well, you don't know my background. I know your future. And I know who lives in you if you're saved. What kind of Christian do you want to be? Do you want to enough to do something about it? There's all kinds of want to's in the world, but you've got to put action with it. And it's the same with growing in grace. We hear the word grace and disattach ourselves as if that relieves us. We have no responsibility if we have nothing that is our part to do. No, I can't save myself. Never could. No, I could never give the righteousness that's needed. That's entirely of Christ. But I have things I'm supposed to be doing. And my growth in grace is a responsibility that's been entrusted to me by my Heavenly Father. And while I cannot affect the growth, I can't affect the growth. In other words, I have, I, I can't, God is growing me, but He says, okay, here's the next step for you to grow in this area. <laughs> a lot of illustration I can think of, but let's continue here. Look at the, uh, let's go on down with the, with the rest of the verse here. Verse 15, and account. So while we're showing this diligence and while we're having accounting, while we and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. In other words, you've got it figured out that the reason why you're saved, the reason I'm saved is because God's long suffering and merciful and kind and good and patient, and he deserves our praise and honor. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you. Now watch this, a revealing verse. But this all has to do with growing in grace. You understand, don't you? You're not going to grow in grace without learning some of your Bible. 
You've got Bibles with a necessary component here. Now watch this. Watch what it says. As also in all his epistles, those things written by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote them and, and sent them out. Speaking in them of these things, in which here's the here's the Apostle Peter speaking about the writings of Paul, in which are some things hard to be understood. And you freak out when you can't figure out your Bible first time through. I've got verses I've looked at for years trying to figure out. I've asked the Lord, how's that fit? I mean, I know what the English words mean. I know what the words say. I've studied it. Still don't have a clue. There are several books of the Bible I've, I've went through, not just verse by verse, but basically following through in sequence, however much I felt we needed to do each point. Isaiah was one of those books. Going back a good ways. I promise you, I came to parts of Isaiah where I looked at it and I didn't have a clue where it attached. Which time frame it was talking about. And I would read what the words say, say that's actually the Word of God, and I'd sit back and claim the same, the same statement as the old country preacher. Mm-mm, I don't know. <laughs> because that's where I was. But there are some things hard to be understood. But that's not a problem. You realize it's an eternal book, not a just right now book. When you meet somebody who thinks they've mastered the Bible, you've met somebody who's not submitted to the Master. Because if you're submitted to the Master, you'll never be under the illusion that you've mastered the Bible. Wouldn't it be a much sweeter thing in our life if the Bible indeed would master us? Certainly it can. But look what goes on the rest of verse 16. Now remember, we're coming down to growing in grace. Which they that are unlearned. What it is, they've not had proper instruction. They've not had someone who's ahead and, and more mature in Christ that they could talk to and they're getting some instruction from. They haven't listened as they're being taught some things. They that are unlearned and unstable. Do you know a lack of immaturity in any area or a sign of a lack of immaturity in any area is instability? Have I ever noticed that children tend to be emotionally unstable? Real, real little ones can go from about that fast. They act like us adults when we're hungry. And... They that are unstable, unstable, unstable. I've been feeling very unstable lately. And if you can help to stabilize me. Um, sounds like I haven't shaved. Um, <laughs> uh, but it says they that are unlearned and unstable. Let's try that word and see how that works. Right? Rest, which is the idea of twisting it. I may mention in my class this morning, we get these uh, one-issue Christians. They'll come in and they say, well, what do you know about the Feast of Trumpets? Well, don't you know what that symbolizes? Don't know what that's about. And they'll just get into these things, you know, because that's their pet. Brother, I probably knew it one time. Forgot more than I know about it. (laughs) I I used to tell young people, I've forgotten more than they know. I've now forgotten more than I know. And but... (laughs) I consider that a level of achievement. But, they, but they're like, well, you don't know much about it. And, and, and the implication in their little smug way of doing things is uh, 
What do you know about blood moons? Um, messing with astronauts land? I don't know. But it's whatever their pet thing is. And if you don't know everything about that, they just act like you don't know the Bible. That kind of self-righteous and haughtiness is not pleasing to the Lord. First of all, you're never going to know the Bible well unless you learn to learn it in context. Amen. You'd do better to just be able to have the reading along and learn how to set things together. And I study. I'm a studier. I'm not a scholar, but I am a studier. And I'm going to tell you something. It has to be in context of the body of the, of the Bible. Now see, these folks, they rest the Bible. They twist it out. That's where things come from. That's where the mess comes from. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. And sometimes we don't need any help. We're, we're able to do it ourselves, you know, get ourselves in trouble. As they do also the other Scriptures. I love that. Paul's writing the Scriptures. Unto their own destruction. Now, you see this chapter. It's laid out this way. Now look at this. Ye therefore... Okay, now you, because of everything we've talked about thus far, ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, because you know of the impending judgment, because you know that this life is temporary, because you know that this earth is transitory, because you know that you have the capacity to, to rest the Scripture, because you know all these things, he says, beloved, because you seeing that you know these things before, beware! Hey, God's people, beware. Why? Lest ye, you personally, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked and with the ease of accessing so many streams of information that is at the fingertips of every person now, the chance of this multiplies. Um, just because someone can put out a good publication in a slick production does not mean they're teaching truth. Amen. <laughs> it's uh, a well-groomed weasel is a weasel in, indeed. Um, odd thought. Um, I don't know what's coming either, folks. I come to church to hear what's going to happen. <laughs> Being led away with the air of the wicked, here we are in the passage, what happens then? Fall from your own steadfastness. And there's the instability. And there's the inability of the church to go forward as a body. And inability to stand. Do you realize what just happened? I'm going to go ahead and say what I believe on it. The world said boo and the church said <laughs> A lot of people who screamed about their rock rib convictions didn't have enough courage to stand. And it's continuing. It's perpetuating. It's perpetuating. Because there's a, there's a, there's a purpose behind it. Amen. Now, my friends... Some did not do well because they did this. And some of us didn't do well at times because we did this. We don't much do that. We do this. You know what God would really love us to do based on His Word? Show the life of Christ in every situation. We're not going to... We're not going... I, I'm for good character because I believe it's part of what God wants us to do in growing in, in, in the Lord. 
But we're not going to character our way into spirituality. We need God. Then it comes to our verse in chapter 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we do that, by the way, there's a fulfillment of what it says here at the end of the verse. To Him be glory. Look at it. When you grow in grace, look what happens. You remember this chapter started out talking about things that are going to come, judgment, all that sort of thing. But when we actually grow in grace, what happens? We, uh, to God be glory, when? Both now and how long? You're in it for long. And there's lasting honor and glory brought to His name. Now, I pivot then to the message tonight. And I have a rather large porch on a smaller building tonight. So don't be scared by the lead-in. But our message tonight is, is this. It is what needs to grow. When the Bible says grow in grace, I put out to you the question, what needs to grow? First of all, if you look at it and look at the context up there, you'll see that we need to grow individually. Look in uh, verse 18. I'm going to try to put something there as I'm going back and forth here. Um, look in verse 18. See that word, but grow in grace? Who is it? To whom is this addressed? It's the one in verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved brethren. Spoken to is a singular group, believers, and it's understood by the way that's written, if you just basic English, that it would be addressing the individuals that make up that whole. So in other words, what it shows us is who is supposed to grow. It's us each are supposed to grow. I am to be growing as a Christian man. It's a wonderful thing when I used to have some access to things and occasionally I'll, I'll do things. Uh, and, well, I'm constantly doing things to try to keep growing so that I can be more effective as your pastor. I try to learn things, grow, and everything I'm learning I pass on to you, whatever realm it may be in. And I try to do these things. But it is, it is vitally important that I keep growing as a Christian man. That I grow in grace. That I learn to love the Lord. That I learn to love those people who God has given me to love. That I learn to be deeper and stronger in my relationships according to Jesus Christ. That's important. And so individually, every person, individually, it's important for us with that. Then, who, who, who's supposed to grow? And uh, where are we supposed to grow? We see who, it's the individual. Then we see where? In grace. I mentioned that to you. That's where you grow. I can grow because of God's grace. So what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, soils, <laughs> grace is the soil that the Christian grows in. And here's what it means. God is not flippant about sin. We understand we're not to use our liberty as a license for the flesh, but we're supposed to buy love, when love serve one another. We're not supposed to use it as a cloak of maliciousness. In other words, grace does not equal licentious living. <laughs> how, how could it? That it's, that's directly opposite of what it is. But watch this. Grace allows me to have the freedom to grow. Um, I can tell, I usually tell personal thing about my wife, and this is not in any way taken, uh, I'm not trespassing into something that would not be known, but when she was young, she would spill her milk sometimes, or a drink. The table? Pardon? Yeah? Everything. What's that? Everything. Everything. Yeah. Just knock it over. Go fling it around. Uh, now, I want you to understand, maybe you didn't know her dad. Her dad's a good dad. That's a good dad. 
and he was a good father-in-law, a good man. Um, so I don't want you to get one little picture and get an idea of a tyrant and that kind of stuff. He wasn't. But for some reason, if something was spilled at the table, that really bothered him. Now, you understand all of us mature adults in here, we have nothing like that. Right. Yeah. And, but he did, and we pray for his generation. Um, but, and, <laughs> those old people that you're becoming, uh, they get like that. It's something <laughs> So, his response was to scold or be harsh with his words. <laughs> My wife says extremely all these years later. Anybody want to guess what the net result of that was as far as her and her actions at the table? Got worse? Absolutely. Yeah. At that point, she was like an octopus with threats. <laughs> 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 Sugar bowl, bell, <laughs> But what happened was that response produced a problem. I understand a child may need scolded appropriately if they've been told or they know they should be playing and they're playing around doing something goofy that causes, uh, precipitates the problem because they're being, you know, not paying attention to what's going on. And then we have to be measured in that, you know, that's not, that's not a reason for the giving. Um, but, um, but if it was a child they just accidentally did it and they saw how much better would a response of, oh, honey, sorry, let's clean that up. It's all right. What do you think the result, the chance of a repetition? Well, would it not be within the child's heart at that point not to want to mess up? I mean, she did sit down and just play things around on the table like that thing. That's my wife. And um, wouldn't it? That's that's grace. Grace says, "You're mine. I messed up. Yeah, you did. You're mine." And when we sin, we admit it and confess it and forsake it. And by the way, sin is not mistakes and mistakes are not sin. Right, right. You can tell the difference in words because they're spelled differently. <laughs> but grace. All of grace is my story. All the way from earth to glory. Why? Because it's in that grace we can grow because then we have the freedom to say I'm accepted in the beloved and because of that I can try some things and I can venture out and I can take some steps. May God give us grace to extend grace. And so when we look at it, we're growing in grace and where do we grow in grace? And uh, let me give you these thoughts. What needs to grow? As I thought about this, I thought a great place to start would be the areas identified by Jesus to be given wholly unto the Lord in love. Look at Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to give you quite a bit of meat in a short amount of time with this. So, I want you to listen and it will help you. No matter what stage of this Christian life you are, where you are in your growth. Mark chapter 12. As I thought of this, and the Lord was showing me a few things, I said, okay, Lord, now biblically, I, want to, uh, I don't want to preach about the Bible. I want to preach the Bible. And there's a difference. And I said, okay, Lord, then what is the pattern for this? And my mind came to this, and I said, well, 
where Jesus identified these areas we are to wholly give to the Lord our God in love. This would be a good starting point for the areas where we're going to grow in grace. In other words, we're letting Jesus define that, if you will. In Mark chapter 12, look in verse 28 and 29 and probably a familiar passage to you, but look what's said here. In verse 28, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, ask him, the him that's being asked there is Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now, Jesus breaks it down into categories here. Look what he says. With all thy what? Heart. And with all thy what? Soul. And with all thy what? Mind. And with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. May I say to you tonight that I believe that those four areas give us the areas where we're supposed to be growing. Continually. Perpetually going forward because, of, uh, because it honors God to do so. Let's take each of them in turn. Uh, first of all, it's a fitting response to grace given to us for us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Therefore, we have to grow in each area in order to be able to love Him properly with it. Um, if we do not grow, do you remember the statement I made to you? If you don't grow, you won't survive. Because if we will grow in grace, then it keeps us from resting the Scripture to our own destruction, which is in verse 17. It keeps us from being led away with the error of the wicked, which is in verse 17. And it keeps us from falling from our own steadfastness, which also is the warning in verse 17. In other words, growth will keep us from doing all those things. Let's look at them in order as they come. First of all, he said, Love Lord thy God with all thy heart. Let me say that's our emotion. I mentioned earlier emotional maturity, but we need to be maturing and growing in the Lord. And we're supposed to give diligence to this. That means when we first start growing, it will not be comfortable. Anytime you grow, you're not comfortable. We, we were on vacation. I, I chose not to take my bicycle with me. Sometimes I will when I'll ride. Of course, I'm in, I have been riding regularly. and I went down, but I, I do not like to be inert for several days. It, it bothers me. And so I told my wife, I said, I'm going to run. I'm going to get out and run in the morning. So I did, and we were down Tennessee. We had this, this neat little cabin. This thing was super cheap. It was very, very nice. It was on a working alpaca farm. That was kind of so we all got working alpacas around us. And uh, it was great, and I got to meet their uh, uh, great Pyrenees, and I made friends with that dog. He was awesome. He was their garden alpacas. Actually, he was hanging out under our porch. But <clears throat> I went out, went out to the highway where I could start running because it was about a mile out to the highway. This is a real neat place. It's way out of the way near, over near Sweetwater, Tennessee, just outside Knoxville area. And <clears throat> I didn't want to run on the gravel. You say, why? Because of my tenderfoot. And so I got out there. Well, I'm used to riding bicycles. Those two things don't translate exactly. And in fact, it translates easier from, from running to bike than bike to running. And uh, I decided to run just a little over a mile the first day. Well, there's another aspect of running in Tennessee. Tennessee's about that. Someone had the incline on my treadmill going. It wouldn't turn off. And it was okay going down. Coming up. Mm-mm-mm. You, uh, you get an appreciation for how much cargo you are hauling. Um, I got up the next day, and I said, uh-oh. Had that thing with the calves, didn't want to bend, because I was running. 
and parts of the leg muscle you don't use when you're pedaling. I mean, a few weeks ago, I rode 119 miles from Western Ohio by Indiana over to here. And I've been really sore next day. I was a little tight in my legs and stuff. Man, after, you know, 1.2 miles, I'm running. I mean, my short of legs. I had a lot of RPMs going. I wasn't just jogging. Yeah. And I got up, and my calves were so stiff, my feet wouldn't bend. Bastard, I am coming. Yeah, I'm walking around like Frankenstein. And then I realized, so the next day, in order to help the thing, I ran further. My, my quads are not sore. And then all of a sudden I realized how much you use when you step down the stairs. <laughs> and I thought, oh no. I have done myself a mischief. And I'm going around and I'm trying to, you know, not show it. You know, I'm going to show it. I'm going along, I'm doing okay. I got my calves and start working somewhat. And so I'm walking pretty smoothly and I get the stairs and I'd have to do something fancy, you know. Because <laughs> when I tried to go down, it was like, <laughs> and we're riding. And I remember this, and I can't believe they got that sore. And my wife, you know, we're driving. She reaches over, grabs my leg. She says, Is it sore there? And I'm like, Ah! <laughs> so. <laughs> Fart? Yeah, it is. And. She's been like that ever since she was abused there. <laughs> but what happened, when you're going to grow, there's going to be some pain involved. Part of diligence is not backing off because that's there. Sometimes people first start trying to do something, say, oh, I'm scared, I'm starting to hurt. Look at the shaker, you shouldn't hurt me. You need to go through that. You know, the saying, no pain, no gain. The saying, more people like, no pain, that's good. <laughs> um, you know, when we grow in grace, it makes us face things. Now watch this. It makes us face things about our inner self that God wants to show us that we may not want to look at. And therefore, it's easier just to put on a cloak of actions, habits, and standards without getting what is behind them in the holiness life of God that should be precipitating. Let me hurry here. The, uh, so we're supposed to grow in our emotional maturity. You may legitimately tonight say, Preacher, I don't know how to do that. Well, may I suggest as you are in your Bible, and you've got to be in your Bible to start growing. <clears throat> a good thing for you to do is when you're reading in the Gospel account, start looking how Jesus interacted with people. Slow down and pay attention to how He responded to people. Pay attention to what the Bible says about how we're supposed to deal with people. Start looking at what your Bible says is or is not acceptable as far as emotions. Do you know we live in a society that tries to hide from grief? I mentioned to you there was a 42-year-old deacon that got killed down there at Temple Baptist last week. The church was grieving over it. Left behind four children. Um, tragic accident and just a man who apparently good standing in the church and love the Lord and God like that. And uh, I had just a couple moments of spoke with Brother Sexton there and he said to me, he said, it's just mind-blowing, 42 years old and he's gone and, and all that. 
Um, do you realize that the emotions that those people are going to face are huge? Brother Sexton made a statement. I heard him say it, and I thought, I've never heard a pastor say that, and I love the maturity and the wisdom of it. He said, we're going to have the funeral service or the homegoing service, and it was going to be there on some of their properties. Here's what he said. Parents, bring your children. He said, it is a mistake. And he's not talking about you bringing in a little screaming infant that would detract. But he said, bring your children and let them face the fact that death is part of life. And we live in a society that wants to block everything out. You have to be careful when you go to a medical doctor sometimes because you go in and they say, have you felt a little depressed or something? Well, I mean, it's only one drug you. Oh, you should be feeling Yes, sometimes you should. Right. Did you know that uh, sorrow is, is better than mirth? That it makes the heart clean? Do you know that God has a design in these things? And we see the hand of God work in so many ways that are ways we would not want to go because of the comfort of the flesh. But we need to grow in our emotional maturity. We need to learn how to wait and be patient. We need to learn how to step back and say, my God's in charge. And because of that, although my emotions may be doing whatever they're doing, I want to stay on course. See, sometimes people mistake steadfastness for not feeling things emotionally. They say, well, if I was steadfast, I wouldn't feel this. You may feel it. You may feel like quitting. You may feel like throwing in the towel and everything. And that's not the issue. The issue is what do you do? Because steadfastness is measured in what you do, not what your emotions are doing during that time. So with all our heart, may God have all our heart. He's certainly worthy of it. By the way, He can't have all your heart if you're giving it away to other things that are contrary to Him. When your heart is given to those things which are in alignment with the will of God and the Word of God, then it does not pull you away from Him. But when you give your heart to lust and things that are against the will of God, then you cannot give God your whole heart. And then He said, not only your heart, by the way, let me say in that also your affections. We need to be mature in affections. We need to learn to set our affections. We need to guide our heart. These are biblical terms. And then, not only our heart, but our soul. This is relational maturity. I know those two things overlap, but you understand they would. I think about Jonathan in the Old Testament whose soul was knit with that of David. There's a difference between sewing and knitting. Any of you in here? Uh, several of you in here are, are good seamstress. You know how to sew very well. Some of you in here... Do some knitting. And some of you don't mind your own knitting very well. But there's a difference. When you're sewing something together, you take two pieces of fabric, similar, disparate, whatever, and you unite them with a third thing, a thread, whatever it is. Knitting interweaves the actual fabric. You could get a seam ripper or something like that, and you could take the you could take the string off or the, uh, the, the the thread from the sewing and take apart the garment and not damage it. If something's knit together, you're not going to pull it apart without damaging both parts. 
I'm not taking a slap at anybody in here. I'm really not. Because it's not, it's not in my heart to do that with you. But you understand that there's things in life that can have happened that have got you in a situation where you are you don't want to hurt ever again or anymore, so you build a wall that will not allow your soul to net. I'm not saying be uh, light or just, you know, everybody comes along you have that type of relationship with. But God wants you to grow emotionally. I beg you to tell each other you love each other. I beg you to speak often of your love to your family. I beg you, husbands and wives, to learn to say words like I love you. So my emotion's not in it. Then let your commitment to truth be. I beg you to. Why? Because if we do not grow, we won't survive. Do you realize, I think you saw in this last year, how everyone I dealt with throughout our church, no matter what their position was on anything, and you know, in the early days especially, and everybody didn't know what was going on. You had things all over the board. But everyone's spirit was affected by what we've gone through. The aggravations about things and whatever you disagreed with, being confronted with it all the time. And, this, and you found that your spirit could just get so upset you got tired of people obviously lying to you about things and, and, and people just grossly incompetent in charge of things and it's just so vexing. We, if we don't learn some emotional maturity, we will not be able to stand that as we get closer to the Lord's return, there will be more of that, not less. Then our soul, that relational, learn how to actually love. Love requires Vulnerability. The same walls that keep people from hurting you keep you from loving others. And then he said with all your mind, this is intellectual growth. I've put it down this way. These verses, how about this from Philippians 3 verse 15, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's not a neat literary device and, and uh, a word forming to, you know, to give us a, a smooth sounding sentence. It is speaking literally, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He understood his position, and yet he chose humility. Let this mind, let this way of thinking, let this very way of doing things be part of you. How about this? In Proverbs 4, verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. He said, get it. Don't say, I'd like to have it. Get it. You're a child of God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth all men liberally, and not breaketh not. And it shall be given him. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, which is driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man think they shall receive anything of the Lord. For an unstable man, uh, or a double-minded man, is unstable in all his ways. But the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. And the brother of high that he is brought low. Why? These things are of God. God says, get it. Don't be satisfied not to get it. To grow in your mind. Not to numb your mind by watching all the junk that's out there over and over and over, newscast, 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 while people who are demonic are lying to you about stuff. It's going to affect you. Do you understand that even an overuse of screens actually affects the neurological function of the mind? It's not just the thoughts that come in. It affects how the brain works. God wants us to learn. 
He wants us to have a mind that's useful to Christ to keep growing in the Lord. My goodness, don't you think God wants us to take the years of experience we get as we get older and use those as a vehicle for us to learn more about Him so we can be more useful to Him? Don't think as your body may weaken on you that you have somehow become a less effective tool for God. God didn't need your physical strength to start with. Although I believe we should take care of ourselves as a vessel of God. If I, if I couldn't walk tomorrow, God would have no less plans for my life. And uh, I hope I'll always believe that. That's easy to believe in the vigor of health. And I recognize that. I hope I always believe that because it's true. Then what about this? Let's watch this. How about this? Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your what? You see, the Bible is replete with these. That you may prove. What is that? To live out, to be steadfast with, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? All these things. Let me ask you a question. Are you living? Are you learning? Are you actively engaged? Are you living? Are you actively engaged in this thing of growing in grace? Or you just come into church when you come in and sit down and hope the preacher gives you something that might help you? I don't mind that. That's what I'm supposed to do. And that role is there. But you're not to come in passively hoping that something happens to you. Or hoping that somehow God gets a hold of you. Or maybe you can have some kind of great experience that will put you on the right track once and for all. That is not reality. And that is not biblical. Instead, it's the day-by-day discipline of saying, God, I want to grow. And if I want to grow, I need to grow in my heart. I need to grow in my soul. I need to grow in my mind. I need to be learning some things. Many of you in this room know what it's like when God opens up a verse or a passage to you. It's one thing. I love it. I, I, we were well-fed spiritually on our trip. And I just there were just some great things that the Lord blessed me with, convicted me about, and then also moved me forward on. But I'm going to tell you there were some things too just in private reading that God just gives through His Word in those precious times. And then let me say to you, Jesus did this. Not only are you living, are you learning? Are you discerning between truth and error? But then He said all your strength. What is that? That's your physical We're supposed to cleanse ourselves. And the Bible says it's our responsibility from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says that. We're to cleanse ourselves of filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. The Bible says that uh, we are, that we, God wants us to preserve holy, our whole spirit, soul, and body, blameless, until the coming of the Lord. In other words, all these parts are important to Him. I'm supposed to be growing in grace with the physical realm. Realizing that I have a, a stewardship for this body which God has allowed me to possess. I'm supposed to take care of it in a way that's consistent with stewardship. Realizing that I am to, to take care of it in such a way as not to dishonor the name of God by the conduct of this body. These are all important things. So, preacher, what's what's the body? What's the, what's what's that got to do with grace? <laughs> Titus two twelve says that grace teaches us. Listen to it. That 
denying ungodliness. Here's what grace teaches. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Guess where? In this 